Today is kind of a strange day because I'm going to jet as soon as I talk to do my dad's uh, kind of graveside uh, service. And we just had this memorial service yesterday. And I just want to thank the Central Vineyard community. So many of you have helped Adrian and I through this and uh, helped us do this service. And I just, it was so cool, Adrian and I, just to be on the receiving end of how all the multifacets of a way this community loves people. And it was so good to just kind of be able to be pastored. I was, I was talking to Andy Anderson. He, he ran sound for us and did stuff. I said, I can tell he, his dad's Lutheran pastor since uh, just around the time of the Reformation, I think. And I can say, you soaked in all that pastoral presence right there. And you could even through the way you were running sound and then uh, uh, just everyone. And I was grateful. I have a video posted, uh, I know, that we, where we put this uh, kind of took footage Daniel did, the sound and some iPhone footage and video we made and combined it together. And the reason I'm mentioning it in, uh, is because uh, this is what I want to share about my dad is my dad uh, would not get in front of big crowds and speak and he wouldn't consider himself eloquent or any of that but literally impacted thousands of people's lives one on one through very weird conversations, texts, email threads. And uh, I just had this, I was talking to one of his buddies and he was saying, hey, yeah, your dad used to expose like which charities weren't giving enough money to end user and stuff. And he really loved the one you're involved with and your brother-in-law was in with because it gave the most money to the end user. And he explained with the spreadsheets and everything. He said, you know, Asia's Hope and Cure International. And it was just so cool that my dad even brought that finance thing to like consulting with people on how to uh, uh, be generous in a very effective manner. And that was just exciting. But I had, I've had so many friends reach out to me that like my dad was the consistent person that always asked how they were feeling, uh, always uh, made it about others, not about him. It was really hard to um, extract details of how he was feeling, unless it was details about what procedure he was receiving at a given moment. Like he would send a white paper on what kind of synthesis he was getting on his lungs. But you say, how are you feeling? I don't know. Uh, Anyway, I wasn't going to show this, but today I want to talk about a couple things I've learned about grief. It's not uh, like a, a list thing where 10 things you need to know about grief because I'm still working on knowing the three. I know right now um, Adrian has been super helpful for me to get in touch with this stuff. And uh, this is kind of a gimme sermon. It's like I'm in the middle of doing two services for my dad, so you're just going to kind of get the overflow of some thoughts there. And uh, I'm hoping it's a blessing to you because... Listen, uh, this, this section of life is terminal, and all of us are adjacent to sorrow somewhere. Um, many of us have known it very early in life. Some of us are, have it coming now, are going through it now. Some of us have grief ahead of us. But, you know, no one gets out of this life unscathed. And those of us who put our faith in Jesus and believe in the resurrection... That's not about rainbows, unicorns, and marshmallow positivity. That's about being more offended by death and clinging on to the hope of the resurrection even more. Because I believe a true faith doesn't numb us emotionally. True faith gives us the emotions of Jesus. Jesus who would get viscerally angry at injustice. Jesus that would turn over the 
tables in the temple because people were excluded from worship because they set a mini mall up there. Uh, Jesus, who stood between violence and uh, the person who was being judged. Jesus, who got in the way of the stones. I mean, Jesus was such a deeply emotional person. Jesus, who got angry at his disciples because they got in the way of kids encountering him because he was worried they would make a disruption. This is Jesus who let a, a socially untouchable person interrupt a dinner party. This is uh, Jesus who uh, gave his, uh, would blow off the religious leaders of his day unless they came to him incognito because they wanted to learn something. But he would make time for the leper. Jesus who would take the old laws of you can't touch people that are dirty, you don't go near lepers, and Jesus would say, I want to heal you, but I want to do it through a hug. Jesus would do the long-distance heal for the people in power, and then he would do the hug and get people's wound juice on his one garment when he healed the untouched. I mean, this, this Jesus, right? Jesus had emotions that I don't have yet. Jesus had a relational depth that I'm not there yet. I, I, I think Jesus was a genius. You know, uh, we, when, Jesus is, when Jesus is reduced to platitudes and just a moral teacher, uh, it really eviscerates the power of what Jesus says in the genius of Jesus. I mean, Dallas Willard pointed out that when people talk about Jesus, they rarely use the word genius in the same sentence because they don't think in terms of how brilliant, how freaking brilliant his teachings were. And even now, with Nero, there's a whole uh, uh, field of Nero theology where they uh, chart the effects on people's brain in how they express their religion. The specific elements of following Jesus and the effects of following Jesus on the brain. Forgiveness, enemy love, the idea of love your enemies does things to our physical body that just in the last couple years we found out our brain healing, trauma healing, and this stuff. So let's say Jesus knew it before the neuroscientists did. And so uh, that's why it totally freaks me out that so many Christians have, the, or so many so-called Christians in America, this isn't really a global thing as much. I mean, there's elements of this elsewhere, but many Christians in America see science as the enemy. And I see science, like the Bible ain't a science book, but Jesus was a genius. And I love it when scientists catch up to something Jesus was adept at. And it, you, yeah, you read the Sermon on the Mount and you'll see, wow, uh, Jesus, brain health expert. But it was more than that. Jesus was soul depth builder. And, uh, but I want to tell you what I learned about grief. A couple things. Um, I was under the misnomer in a way. My dad has had many near-death experiences. His have all been health-related, heart-related. As many of you know, I've had literally probably 30-some near-death experiences. I'm a walking Darwin Award winner, wannabe. Um, spent some time hitchhiking through Europe and the Middle East in the 90s and other things. My wife has accompanied me when I've almost gotten myself killed. I've uh, Three times I've been to Amsterdam. All three times I almost got hit by a train because I was derping out uh, in the middle of the city. Uh, so I'm a walking Darwin. But my dad was so worried. And my dad was so fastidious and uh, obsessive about safety. He wouldn't go visit me in Hocking Hills because of the potential of seeing a copperhead. But 
But he almost died a hundred times because of physical maladies and heart stuff. And he, he had many times intensive care. Blood, t uh, blood went septic through a kidney stone. He had a kidney stone the size of a thumb. The doctor said it was, looked more like coral than a kidney stone. Uh, so it's kind of strange. That, so I almost said that my dad could go at any moment. I made this commitment to call him every single day. And uh, several years back, and I, uh, for the most part, kind of missed a couple days. And uh, they weren't always deep conversations. Sometimes I would gush. I always basically gave him my eulogy in advance. Like, and my dad was kind of on the spectrum, and these emotional interactions were awkward for him when I would gush over him and remember these memories and uh, just talk about things and like be in tears. And my dad, a couple times, would tear up. Or he, I wrote him a letter, an epistle once he wrote me back and said, I've never been more moved in my life. I need, that's why I stick with my old email account because I have my deep archives going back to 19, uh, no, uh, 2002. Yeah, 2002. And um, I thought that because I had this relationship with my dad, because I literally don't feel I had any regrets, which I actually do have, I wish I did a couple things a little different, but relationally I don't have any regrets. And I'm not saying that's a boast, I'm just telling, like, that's, if you live as death is real, and I've, luckily, my full-time job has been since around 2000 to talk about forgiveness and grace and love in Jesus, so I've kind of had a little uh, daily work reminder of the importance of that kind of love, but when I, uh, I thought because of that, when I lost my dad, it would be a lot easier. Uh, my only benchmark really was losing my mom, which wrecked me. Uh, I lost my mom in 94. My dad and I and my sister teamed up and did hospice care. My dad literally had written spreadsheets because he didn't think uh, the nurses were doing the exact pain management thing the way he researched on the early internet. So this is 96, and we were on the internet with our uh, uh, X25 modem or whatever that uh, didn't even get 56 kilobits, but he researched pain management and would be there to help her. And I remember like getting the mixing cranberry juice with uh, uh, morphine and he would use the dropper and have the whole thing. And then we had certain relatives that were drug addicts, so then we'd have to hide all the stuff uh, in between that. But all this to say is like, I've been through it with my mom, and I have several months after my mom died where I have no memories. I went into a depression, and the brain, it's like, and I wasn't even numbing out. Like, the thing is, I, my, a part of me wanted to, like, just go out, forsake God, get drunk and high, but I got this thing from my dad where I would do this cost-benefit analysis in my head, where, like, well, if I do this, it leads to this, and then this, then this, and then I'm more miserable. So I would pre-think everything, which really is a bummer when you want to get numb. But I did another thing, that's I just get clinically depressed, so my brain naturally generates harmful chemicals or lack of chemicals that I didn't need drugs to get me into that. So I had several months without memories, and I thought, and uh, I'm not in that place right now, but I, I never got over losing my mom because I'm looking forward to seeing her again. And her death was such an assault on all that was good, cancer. And uh, I never bought into death as part of life, circle of life crap, because as a Christian, I know, I think 
more ill things of death than someone who wouldn't believe what I believe. I hate death more than anyone, and I just don't think it's a brute fact deal with it. I think death is an assault to everything that's good and right. And I want to read a passage of scripture here uh, and make some comments about Jesus and just go over these things I've learned. But oh, before this, first thing I learned about death is the more you love someone, the more it hurts, not the less it hurts. The more you invest in a relationship to not have regrets, the more painful loss is, not the mess. I feel, I struggle feeling guilty because I know many of you, uh, our friends, didn't get to have what I had with my dad. And I've actually had survivor's guilt. Like, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm like so sad about this. And my friend, so many of my friends didn't have this with their father. And it's like, I feel like a jerk in a way. And everyone's like, no, no, you're cool. Be that way because it hurts. And it actually hurts more than when my mom died. And the reason being is I'm 49 years old, not 24 years old. And my emotions have grown. My depth has grown. As I've learned more about forgiveness, about love, about not holding resentments, as I've read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and Sermon on the Plain like Daniel was talking about, my hurting ability has grown exponentially. As if I've uh, gone and kind of married my life to Cambodia and the ministry of Asia's Hope, my hurting ability has grown. My, my heart is bigger. The more, so I have to say, like, it's weird. It's not that I love my dad. I didn't love him more than my mom, but I hurt more now than when my mom died because my heart has been enlarged by the kingdom. And so, and I'm telling you, like, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're far from Jesus, I'm not going to tell you Jesus is going to make your life easy. I'm not going to tell you that, you know, Jesus is going to help you stay positive or anything like that. You know, Jesus will wreck you. Because if you actually know how wrong suffering, like, Jesus will wreck you. He'll wreck your ability to get numb. You know, when you know the, whether it's the horrors of human trafficking or the lack of health care, you know, I've seen all this health care my mom and dad were able to receive, and I think of all the people of the world or even here that can't get what they had, it wrecks me more. It wrecks you more. So Jesus will wreck you. Jesus will ruin it for you. He'll ruin denial for you. He'll ruin denial for you. Um, but I'll tell you what, having your heart grown is so good. Can I tell you, I hurt more than ever before, and I am inspired by life more anymore. I love Jesus, and I love humans more than I ever could have conceived. I never knew you could love people this much. I never knew you could love your enemies beyond and, and not wish harm to them. I mean, I, with my little kind of brain and my creativity, you wouldn't believe the revenge fantasies I could concoct in high school and middle school. And then when John McCollum gave me a copy on floppy Apple II disc of the Anarchist Cookbook in eighth grade, those, those bad ideas almost went further but then John made up for it by founding Asia's Hope. So, you know, care for the fatherless and the widow beats, you know, hurting bullies. Uh, I hope you don't want to get the FBI checking out our Apple computers now. Anyway, it is so worth having Jesus enlarge your heart. And frankly, I do not know a story that enlarges our heart more than Jesus. Karma does not enlarge our hearts. Karma is saying you get what you deserve 
I'll tell you what, if I believe what goes around comes around, what am I going to say to the homeless PTSD vet on the street with traumatic brain injury? Well, I wouldn't even know that story. And I see this person just say, oh, he needs to get a job. But uh, because of Jesus, I've gotten to know him and know his story and know about what the traumas of war and violence and the lack of adequate health care and everything's done to this person and that he is an image bearer of Jesus. I think life is so much better to not just be angry at everyone because they're not trying hard enough. Life is so much more joy when I don't have to just look at everyone and think how stupid they are, but I think, what's their story? Where can Jesus enter in? You are going to hurt like hell, frankly, because this is the closest to hell we're going to get in Jesus. This earth is heaven or hell, depending on who you are. You know, sometimes it's close to heaven some people want to get, sometimes it's close to hell. Some people will get, some, you know, and for many, hell is now. And right now, I know, it's a good life to have a deep heart that hurts. Then it gets, a man was sick. Lazarus, this is the message translation of John 11. There's so much nuance in this passage that it would take a lot of scholar stuff to unpack, but it's easier just to read a paraphrase that does it for you. Uh, a man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. This was the same Mary who massaged the Lord's feet with aromatic oils and wiped it with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Master, the one you love is so very much, so very much is sick. When Jesus got the message, he said, this sickness is not fatal. It will become an occasion to show God's glorify and glorifying God's son. Okay. Sounds like Jesus is being a jerk here. And it, he's just kind of, they're freaking out. And he's like, just chill out. Um, I don't, and, but he says God's going to be glorified somehow. And so it seems like Jesus is interacting with this in a very clinical way. Because Jesus had the whole range of human emotions. He was fully human and fully God. Jesus could be clinical, and Jesus could be empathic. And you'll see the whole spectrum of Jesus-y emotions right now. Because we, sometimes we've got to go in function mode. Right? Sometimes we just got to show up and do what needs to be done and, and wait to cry later. I mean, that's the thing. Sometimes, like in, you know, if you need to pull your kid out of the street because a car is coming, you don't spend time to mourn the fact your kid is not wise and doing stupid things. You, you can deal with that later. You get in the street, help your kid then. And this is, Jesus is getting strangely clinical here. But uh, Jesus loved Mary, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Wait, Jesus loved Martha, her sister and Lazarus. But oddly, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed on where he was for two more days. After the two days, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Oh, I can't, I can't have that. Jesus had female friends in an ancient, super ultra patriarchal culture where you didn't do that. You know, we had a politician a while back says, I'll never meet with a woman unless I've got armed supervision because I'll have to jump on her or something like that. Some politician said that. He says, because I'm a Christian. And I can't, and I was like, well, first of all, that says more about you than Jesus. Second of all, Jesus had no problem hanging out with women and honoring them as peers, not as sex objects. And, uh, you know, people make these statements of faith and say more about themselves. It's like they don't realize, you know what you're confessing to, my brother? 
And like, what I love in this ancient culture, we have all these instances where Jesus kind of ghosts on disciples and he's hanging out with this woman of ill repute at a well, or a woman's going to get stoned for adultery and he gets in between the stones and her. It's like, Jesus had, Jesus had great relationships with women. They were the ones he actually trusted enough to let them bankroll his ministry. It was the guy he put in charge of finance that embezzled it. I mean, you know, this, this idea, anyway, I'm just saying, it's a trend, but not only was Jesus the whole emotional spectrum, but he was very egalitarian in nature. You know, I love the fact that women preached the first gospel sermon because they were the ones that saw the risen Jesus. The disciples were in hiding, they anoint his body. Sorry, tangent. Um, they said, Rabbi, you can't do that. The Jews are out to kill you. You're, gonna, you're going back. And by the way, these women were Jews saying the Jews were going to kill her. In context, this means our leaders are going to kill you. Not This wasn't an anti-Semitic remark. It said the people in charge of us are out to get you because you're threatening their political power with Rome. And Jesus replied, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in daylight doesn't stumble because there's plenty of light from the sun. Walking at night, he may very well stumble because he can't see where he's going. He said these things and then announced, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and I'm going to wake him up. And the disciples said, Master, if he's gone to sleep, he'll get a good rest and wake up feeling fine. And, but Jesus was talking about death while his disciples thought he was talking about taking a nap. So now Jesus is getting all metaphorical and parabolish, talking about uh, Lazarus dying. Still seems kind of clinical, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus is, so well, we've had Jesus being clinical. We have Jesus being like metaphorical and being a teacher now regarding death. Then Jesus became explicit, explicit. Lazarus died, and I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. You're about to give, be given new grounds for believing, so let's go. That's when Thomas, one called the twins, said to his companions, come along, we might as well die with him. I don't know if, uh, Thomas. When Jesus finally got there, he found Lazarus already four days dead. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only a couple of miles away, and many of the Jews were visiting Martha and Mary, sympathizing with them over their brother. Martha heard Jesus was coming and went out to meet him. Mary remained in the house. Martha said, Master, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even though, though, I know whatever God, whatever you ask, God will give to you. Jesus said, your brother will be raised up. Martha replied, I know that he will be raised up in the resurrection at the end of time. Martha's like, yeah, yeah, I know that. Eventually he'll be raised with all of us. I mean, she's calling Jesus out. Like, where the heck were you? Um, but Jesus says, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even he or she dies, will live. And everyone who believes in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe me? Yes, Master, all along I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes in the world. After saying this, she went to her sister Mary and whispered in her ear, The teacher's here. He's asking for you. The moment she heard that, she jumped up and ran out to him. Jesus had not entered the town, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When her sympathizing Jewish friends saw Mary run off, they followed her, thinking she was on her way to the tomb to weep there. 
Mary came to where Jesus was waiting. She fell at his feet, saying, Master, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary literally falls down. She can't even stand in her grief. She physically cannot remain ambulatory. She falls down and is calling Jesus out. If you would have been here, my brother would not be rotting away in a tomb. When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. I want to go somewhere with this. He got angry. He said, where did you put him? Master, come and see, they said. Now Jesus wept. He, wasn't, he was angry at death. And he, it shows from the context, he was not angry because like, you guys don't believe anything. Didn't I tell you how it was going? He wept. Jesus is angry and it turns, and this word for weeping isn't little tears. It's about snot and convulsion weeping. You know what I'm talking about? Snot and convulsion weeping. Jesus is in the presence and he sees the effect of the sin of death on Mary. And then he goes from uh, clinical to metaphorical to theological to fully, deeply, emotionally present, the full spectrum of human existence. And Jesus is angrily crying out because he knew this is the death that would send him to the cross. He, the ultimate expression of evil in this world is torture and death. And Jesus endured them both. And this was a confirmation moment of his vocation to engage evil, rejection, exclusion, even exclusion from the land of the living. Jesus wept. And then uh, Jesus looked her in the eye. I, didn't I tell you you believed? No, wait. Then Jesus... The anger up welling again within arrived at the tomb. It was a simple cave in the hillside with a slab of stone laid against it. He said, remove the stone. And the sisters of the dead men, Martha, said, Master, by this time there's a stench. He's been dead for four days. Jesus looked at her and I said, I said, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Then to others he said, go ahead, take away the stone. They removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and prayed, Father, I'm grateful that you've listened to me. I know you always do listen, but on account of this crowd standing right here, I've spoken so they might believe you sent me. They shouted. Then he shouted, angry Jesus, shouted, raging against the night more than Dylan Thomas could have even written about. Lazarus, come out. And he came out, a cadaver, wrapped from head to toe with a kerchief over his face. And Jesus told them, unwrap him, let him loose. So Jesus gave them a preview of the faith that we all get to enjoy. And that is, come forth. Carol, come forth. Adrian, come forth. Andy, come forth. My dad, Steve, come forth. That we all get to hear that come forth. That Jesus says, you know, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. And I don't think that's Jesus saying, who's your savior, who's your savior, confess. I think that's like, everyone's going to see Jesus fall down and confess that comes to Jesus. And death isn't going to get the last word. All the death killed through, all the people killed through tyranny. You know, Andre Hill and uh, Andre Hill and Casey Goodson who were murdered this summer. 
by the law enforcement, they are going to come forth. They will hear come forth. Death and evil and power and oppression will not get the last word. And because of that, Jesus wept. Jesus knew what he was going to do. He was clinical about what he was going to do. And he still raged with tears and snot and convulsions. And so I'm saying, like, because of Jesus, death is worse. Because of Jesus, grief is worse. Because of Jesus, I'm sadder. Because of Jesus, I've been wrecked more days than I've been functional. Because of Jesus, I'm still vertical. You know, how are you doing? It's a vertical. Because of Jesus, I will get through this. We will get, we can get through everything. And because of Jesus, I can love people. I can even love people who've hurt my dad. Because of Jesus, because that is the power of heart expansion, Jesus offers. We can have worship guys come up. And what I learned about death is suffering is not weakness. Suffering is horrible. Uh, I, when my mom was diagnosed with cancer, the first pastor to talk to me said, don't even weep for a second because we know God works out everything to the good of those who love him. I said, and I, I knew right then that he was full of crap. I just didn't know to what extent. I, I, I got some good theology later on and realized half of what he taught me was wrong. But, but Jesus was amazing. So anyway, uh, but Jesus would say, screw that. I'm going to weep. I'm going to mourn. I'm going to convulse. I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to address this. Um, Another thing is, like, guys, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you've known grief, God, my, my, I love you. And I can't imagine, like, I respect every step you've taken to try to take the edge off the pain. It makes total sense. Even if you've numbed out, if you've, you know, got, you know, if you're uh, numbing out with chemicals, substances, I respect what you're doing because I understand there's no, death is so wrong. Death is wrong, but I want to tell you that the reason it's wrong isn't because we're random chance in a godless universe. Because frankly, humans have evolved to so many things, but we would have evolved to not grieving because it's not good to the species by now if death wasn't a part of a story, not just the science of the thing. And the reason we grieve, and the reason we mourn, is because Jesus meant more for this world, and he grieves with you, and he invites you to him. Jesus was tortured to death, and his response was, forgive him, they know not what he does. He gave his body and his blood. When we take this communion ceremony, it, it rips off this, uh, something Jesus did. He, he took Jewish Passover about being... Uh, freed from slavery, and he made it about being freed from death. He culturally appropriated his own culture and changed the game. He flipped the narrative and said, you're not one people group getting freed from another people. I'm a person who's going to suffer so humankind can be freed. And we ask Jesus' presence on these elements. We take the bread and the cup as the broken body and spilt blood of Jesus. And we, we, we say we live in this in-between time where we say rage against the night, rage against the darkness, rage against death, the rage against the dying of the light, and worship God who brings new life and is making all things new because love wins and gets the last word. Amen?